so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Difficult issues are all around us, and if we have or take care of children, hard and awkward discussions are inevitable. In light of this, David Prince, Dan Darling, Philip Bethencourt, Chip Dean, and Naomi Overton had a helpful conversation at the ERLC National Conference called Talking to Your Kids About Difficult Issues. We hope this message equips you to have meaningful conversations with your children. Welcome to our panel on talking to your kids about difficult issues. I'm joined by my distinguished panelists here, Dr. David Prince, who's senior pastor of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Chip Dean, who's a global uh, campus pastor at uh, Liberty Live Church in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Dr. Naomi Overton, who is uh, national director of the Leadership Council at World Vision and former CEO of Mops International. And Philip Bethencourt, who's the executive vice president of the ERLC. I'm Dan Darling, vice president of communications here at the ERLC. So I want to get us started quickly. Naomi, I'm going to give you the first question. Um, Besides your work at World Vision, you're a mom, and uh, you also led Mops. And so many parents are coming in today watching on the live stream or here attending who feel intimidated uh, about talking to their kids about some of these very difficult cultural issues that seem to be sort of pressing in on us. So what kind of advice uh, do you give uh, to parents who feel like they're not equipped to do that? All right. Well, I'm going to build off the last speaker, and my word for the day is you will fail, but Jesus will prevail. And the motivation for talking with our kids is love, which conquers fear. None of us is equipped. I don't care if you've been the president of a 100,000 mom organization or if you've worked with 30,000 families, as I've done with my research on millennial and extra families. I don't care we're not equipped, but we love Jesus and we love our kids and we want them to know what's out there and we want to walk with them in it. So my advice would be the, the best way to actually fail is to do nothing, is to shrink back. And while I'll have some probably more specific ideas as we go on, the, the thing I'd say right now is love conquers fear. It's a good word. Chip, uh, sometimes questions come to parents, but sometimes they, uh, kids are not asking their parents. They might uh, feel a youth pastor or a student ministry pastor might be someone they can uh, kind of ask those questions and, and have those conversations with. What advice are you giving to student pastors and student leaders as you uh, advise them? Sure. I, th- I think it's very important to keep a student ministry both uh, centered in on discipleship, but also on, on living on mission as well. So when you have a, a student ministry that's big on being gospel-centered and discipling students in Jesus, but at the same time actively, strategically reaching the lost, it always keeps those questions in the framework of um, not just, hey, how should I think about this, but how do I reach my friend? 
or how do I live this out in this way? So always in a, in a framework of mission, but at the same time, make it unbelievably uh, conversational, right? And so we want to ask questions. Um, and so we can gather data. What do you think about this? What have you experienced this? What have you been exposed to? Listen to the way that they answer you. I like to talk about painting the picture. If you, if you choose this lifestyle or if you um, behave in a certain way, uh, you have two paths to choose from, the gospel path, and here's another path. And let's paint the picture of where those paths lead, connect them into the gospel, and then walk them through the words of Jesus and the pages of Scripture so that the Holy Spirit is really speaking into it. So keeping it very missional and very conversational. David, you uh, are a pastor of fairly large churches. And undoubtedly, every week you have parents coming up to you saying, my, my kid asked me this, or we encountered this in our family. Uh, how are you as a pastor and, uh, equipping families to be able to have these kinds of conversations in their home? And uh, what do you say to other pastors who are trying to do the same thing in their churches? Yeah, one of the things we try to get parents to think about and to do is uh, not simply be reactive, but to be proactive and intentional about guiding uh, their children in light of the gospel. And so uh, we want parents, uh, if a child comes to you with a question, never act like that's awkward to you. Never act like you're intimidated by the question or you don't want them to come to you. You may not even know the answer to the question. You, you say, that's a fantastic question. Let's I'm going to look at I'm going to look at that in the scripture and let's let's keep talking about it. Uh, but but primarily you want to be engaging those conversations yourself. You want to, them to believe that there is no issue that they can't come to you and get biblical instruction about. And so one of the primary problems I see is uh, parents who just sort of wish that their children didn't bring up these difficult things. Well, you can do that. Uh, but, uh, that your child is still going to think something about all those issues. The only question is whether or not they're going to be primarily instructed in those issues in the locker room at school and through movies and media or whether or not you're going to help shape that. And so we want to teach the parents at our church and I encourage other parents to think this way, including your sermons, uh, uh, things that help parents and things that challenge parents to, uh, challenge their children and shape the way their children think about everything in light of the gospel. Philip, one of the questions that we get quite a bit at ERLC, as you're, you well know, and, and reflected in the surveys that we took even of attendees, is how do I talk to my kids about some of these difficult things about gender and sexuality, and how do we do this in an intentional way? And I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but uh, the ERLC and LifeWay has put together this uh, Christ-centered parenting curriculum uh, for churches and for parents that were making available in the LifeWay bookstore. Philip, you're one of the co-authors of this along with Dr. Moore. Uh, what are some just practical advice that uh, you're uh, giving to parents both here and, and in your conversations about this? If things don't ever work out at the ERLC and i got to get a new job, I think I'm going to open a new business, and we're going to call it Opryland Outfitters. And here's how it's going to work is when people come to check in at the front desk, we're going to be standing there right by it and say, for the small fee of $20 a person, we will personally guide you to your hotel room. <laughs> because you know when you checked in, what happened? They said, hey, here's a map. Here's where you are, and let me draw a path that's long and winding and hopeless to where you are ultimately <laughs> going to try to be. And most of you got lost in the process. And so once you experience that, you're going to see the value of my Opryland Outfitters and want to pay for that. And the reason is simple. People would rather, instead of having a map, they'd rather have a mentor. 
Instead of a GPS, they'd rather have a guide. And that's not just true in a hotel like this. That's true with your kids when it comes to shepherding them through difficult conversations. And so most parents think that all they've got to do when it comes to talking about tough issues is give their kids directions. But my kids don't want directions. They want a dad. They want somebody that won't just tell them the way. They want them to show them the way. And that's one of the reasons we put together this resource is because uh, one of the unique things about it is in addition to taking a deep dive on some of the difficult issues like you mentioned with sexuality and depression and peer pressure and technology, one of the things it includes is age-graded information. So if you've got a preschool kid, you're going to talk about the issue of same-sex attraction with them in a very different way you might with a teenager in your home. And it's going to give guidance to that. And so whether it's through that resource or just the everyday life of a parent, what our children are looking for is somebody not just to tell them the way, but to show them the way on these tough issues. Naomi, you, uh, in your work at World Vision and some of your past work as well, dealing with some of the most vulnerable around the world. I mean, World Vision's in, uh, I think, 70 countries dealing with really unimaginable tragedy. Uh, how do we talk to our kids? How do we both filter the news that's coming at us about tragedy in a way that uh, we can communicate to our kids, but also how, t- how do we equip our kids to really care for the vulnerable and to sort of have a heart for those people and live on mission for God uh, uh, around the world? So when I talked earlier about you will fail, um, but Jesus will prevail, one of the things that is worth our time as parents is choosing at least one area in which we will proactively engage with our kids. When studies have been done, as was mentioned in a prior talk, about kids who lose their faith when they go to college, well, the flip side of that is the kids who keep their faith that have been studied. The thing that they had going for them was that they knew five faith-filled adults And often they met those five faithful adults when they were serving alongside of them. Mm. So if I had to choose one thing that has engaged my own children and that research would say does engage kids for with the poor in a way that's really faith building, it would be get with your faith community, choose one place that you will build relationships with someone who's in need and serve them. Mm. And that alone is related to more spiritual growth and more lasting a faith in Jesus than any other set of disciplines that I've studied. Chip, in your work in youth ministry, I mean, you're, you're seeing uh, probably things and behaviors in kids, and you probably, kids are confiding in you, maybe in a way that don't confide in their parents. In your experience, what do you think are some of the common mistakes that Christian parents make when they're trying to deal with these issues, have conversations with their kids, or, or maybe not having those conversations? Sure. I, I think we mentioned earlier just saying the importance of being proactive rather than reactive. Um, always be one step ahead of what they're about to experience. They will be exposed. And so uh, often when we are uh, in a conversation with people where there may be two sides of a coin, we tend to filter that conversation through the first thing that we heard. So we need to be the first person that gets to them so that they are filtering everything through the conversation that we've had. So always make sure to prepare them, but also not just protect them. Protection is not always the best way. Preparation for, uh, for holy living, but also preparation for mission is huge. 
So, and then another mistake that I think that, that is often made is, um, is law versus gospel, making sure that every issue and every matter is an issue and matter of following Jesus and an issue of, and a matter of the gospel. So not just right and wrong, but why it's right and wrong and how it ties into glorifying God, how it ties into following Jesus and making disciples. And so making sure that we're not talking about people as, as those people, or that's what that group has chosen to do or stay away from them and don't be influenced instead raising up influencers raising up people who impact the world raising up people who are not just indoctrinated but who are also discerning and really preparing them to be able not just to protect themselves from the world but to go into the world and impact the world with the gospel david i want to ask you this question you've spoken out um, quite a bit on racial unity and racial justice um why is it so important for us to teach our kids, particularly on that issue, and, and have these conversations with them, especially in light of what we saw in, in Charlottesville? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I want my kids to know about God, and that's first and foremost, the character of God, the gospel of God. Uh, but once we, once we look down from that, the first uh, way in which we live out uh, our faith and walk in line with the gospel is our interaction with other people. And so that is fundamental to teaching them what it means to walk in the world in a way that honors God and is in line with the gospel. And so the, the very nature of a fallen world is that we want to look at the things that make us other and we want to uh, label that as some self-justifying superiority. And so the things that make us other and are different than others are the reason they're inferior and we're superior. So we do that in all kinds of ways. But certainly uh, one of the primary ways and one of the historic ways in our own culture is through racial superiority. And so the reason why I make race an issue in my home and my church is because I don't want my kids and I don't want my church members to think about the world in a satanic way. And so the self-exaltation that wants to put me above others based on inherent qualities in me is at its very root satanic. It's anti-gospel. What I want them to do is to look at the world and say that my, my uh, heart and my burden is to love the Lord my God with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. Uh, these issues of race aren't some add-on for social justice warriors to Christianity. That's crazy talk. These issues related to race are as fundamental as anything could be of what it means to honor God and to love your neighbor in the world. And so we have to make those things an issue if we care about our uh, children living this out. And one thing to build on what you said, which was, which was so helpful, is that I don't just want my kids on the right side of particular issues. You can be on the right side of all kinds of issues in a very ungodly, rebellious way. What I want for my children is to, to be on the right side of the issues, but to have an honest understanding of others. And so uh, I might say something to my child about, uh, you know, you see somebody, let's say they're doing something in protest of a racial issue and doing something that you think, well, that's, that's not an appropriate way to respond. But why are they responding that way? What, what is the story or, or somebody they know at school who struggles with homosexuality. Uh, why do you think people pursue that lifestyle? Well, generally because they're isolated or lonely or they're looking for love and acceptance. 
right? Sort of the same stuff that we look for, and our sin may manifest itself in unique ways. But but this is what uh, Chip was so helpfully uh, exhorting us to. we got to make it about the gospel, not just being on the right side of the issue, but looking at the people we're dealing with with those issues in the right way. What matters most is that we walk in line with the gospel and we point others to the gospel. And that is really important in the Twitter world we live in where everything pushes you to choosing a side and vilifying everybody who has a different view than you. We can't do that because we're Christians. That's a good word. I want to throw this out to the whole panel. Uh, Let's pretend there's a hypothetical scenario here where there's a a national tragedy or a natural disaster that really just has everybody's attention. It's on the news. It's on our social media timelines. Kids at school are talking about it. What are some ways you encourage parents to proactively address these things in their home so that their kids can really uh, think well about this? I want to jump in on the idea of why do we talk to our children about difficult issues? And it is very natural and probably the, the water that I know I've swum in and maybe others in this room have swum in that we want to protect our children. And I'd like to reframe that when a natural disaster or national disaster happens, that why we want to talk with our children about these issues is because we want our children to become who Jesus made them to be. And so we want to go with them into the world and understand those issues ourselves, even if we're going to look foolish or humiliated, as Dr. Moore said. And so I happen to have lived in the midst of several of these disasters. My kids went to a preschool that one of the 9-11 terrorist pods located within a couple of blocks of that preschool. I have gotten texts from my kids who were in lockdown situations because there was an active shooter in their own school. And so the real moving into the issue is not, I just want to protect you, although that is my first instinct as a mom. It's also, let us understand what God says about where he is taking this earth what you are made to do to be a person of peace, to be a a reconciler. And if your heart beats for these people, how do I help you help those kinds of individuals who maybe were the outcasts who brought the gun to school? That's the goal of talking with our kids about typical issues, is the image of Christ in them. We've heard a lot of rising tension with North Korea recently. And one of the ways that difficult conversations often come up with my kids is when the television turns on. Even on ESPN, they got the ticker on the bottom. My, my boy says to me one day, Dad, what's domestic violence? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because they're seeing reports about Ezekiel Elliott in the news mm-hmm. with domestic violence. And I've got to talk through that. Or I watch the news to keep up with it for work. And so they see North Korea and nuclear weapons, and they're asking me about that. They're young. They've never heard of these kinds of things. And what, what I try to do with them in these situations is walk through process that can really be adapted to anything that's going on. The first thing that I try to do is to help them consider the facts, to understand what's going on with the issue, know the dynamics. They might not have complete information. They might have misinformation. And so making sure they are rightly processing it begins with that. And then the second thing, when you come behind that, is you have to help them to characterize the field. So one of the things I've noticed with large issues, whether it's North Korea or Charlottesville with racial strife, is those create stark opportunities to teach your children the difference between good and evil and right and wrong and helping them to understand who's involved in the way that reflects the character of them and the brokenness of sin helps to navigate that. And then the other aspect of it is to help them confront their fears. So when it comes to North Korea, as soon as I start walking through it with my boys, the question is, are we going to get 
have a nuclear bomb dropped on us? Is, is our friend that serves in the military going to die because he's going to be at war with them? And helping them have a place to process those. And then the last thing I would say is to help them to contend for the faith. So to help them draw connections between the crises that they see in the news cycle or the things they hear about with their children and to connect it about what they can learn about the gospel. And then the last thing I'll mention on this front is we, we need to recognize that when you're talking about difficult issues, it's not a one-time conversation. You know, I can't check it off the list. Okay, we did the birds and the bees. I don't have to come back to that again. <laughs> or we already talked about race. The last time, you know, when Ferguson happened, we did that, so we don't need to touch it with Charlottesville. That's not an option. Instead of seeing it as a one-time process, we need to see it as part of an ongoing conversation that is a major aspect of the discipleship in our home. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I, I would just say that uh, as a parent... Uh, your child brings you an incredibly difficult issue. Let's say they tell you about something that's going on at school, and uh, you, your, your response to that ought not be, oh, man, I've got to deal with this, um, because you're the parent. <laughs> you say, praise God, they brought it to me. Praise God, we can further this conversation, or even their own confusion about something, right? You know, we had one of our children, he's older now, and he's a believer now, but we used to, you know, say, you know, what, what are you doing with Christ? He said, Dad, I don't deny the facts of the gospel. I just want to do what I want to do. And I said, you know, that, that's the most natural thing in the world. I've been there too. I understand that. That's why everybody is apart from Christ. Are, are these issues, you want to shape how your child thinks about the issues of race and violence and sexuality and uh, transgenderism and everything. You want them coming to you. So you and your wife ought to be high-fiving one another in the hallway if your kid asks you about transgenderism. Don't feel sorry for yourself. That's why you're the parent. Now, if you were asking your five-year-old, can you explain transgenderism to me, then your five-year-old probably ought to say, what in the world have I gotten into? Who are my parents? But not the other way around. This is why you're there. These are the opportunities that you have, the unique opportunities before they leave your home. Do you want to have those conversations? Or at least you should. And if you don't want to have those conversations right now, let's turn that around. Uh, and that doesn't mean you've got articulate answers because the key of shepherding through these issues isn't always how articulate you are or how you're able to work through all the nuances of the issues. It's that you're there. And you say, I might not know everything about it, but I do know this. And I do know that somebody struggling with that needs us to pray for them and to reach out for them. And if you're struggling with that, I'm glad you've come to me, uh, whatever those issues are. Uh, I want to ask, ask you guys uh, about this. We've talked quite a bit about being intentional about discipling our kids. Uh, but I want to lean in a little bit on something that you said and just kind of address the panel. How do we get our kids to think rightly about issues and form uh, their minds uh, without kind of creating uh, little Pharisees who kind of think, you know, they're better than the neighborhood kids or better than these other families that don't uh, live according to the, the scriptures. And how, do we, how do we live in that tension and do that well? One of the things I think about is looking at Deuteronomy when it talks about um, teaching these words to our children, you know, when we're at home and as we go, when we're asleep and, and throughout our day when we're awake. And um, there's an aspect of not letting our teaching get ahead of their understanding and their actual encounter of the situation. 
Um, one of the things that I've looked at is what actually helps people grow as they encounter spiritual, I mean, different issues and difficult issues, particularly poverty and injustice. And what I've learned is that if we teach the issue and we don't actually create relationship with someone who is in need and then going back to the scriptures and say, whoa, that was so different. What do we do with it now? We don't actually encourage spiritual growth. So, so the encounter with the person and actually reading stories in the news or stories in, there's a lot of great resources here in the bookstore, stories of the other, encounter with the other, then together go back to the scripture and say, what are we seeing? And there's a good sign if you're uncomfortable and your child is uncomfortable, that means you're at the growing edge of where your faith can actually expand. Mm. If you're comfortable, you're in not a growth zone. But go back to the scriptures and also process it with other faithful people who are seeking Jesus and what he's understanding. That's good. Something uh, simple and really practical. If you hear about something going on with a child that's not your child, and, and you say something in response to it like, uh, I can't believe that they would do that. Can't, yeah, I mean, those kind of, but then your child does something wrong and you say, I can't believe you would do that. Now you're creating Pharisees. You catch your child doing something wrong, you should say, I'm not surprised you would do that at all. Because you're a Christian. My, my child lies to me, I catch them in a lie. Uh, the last thing I would ever say is, I cannot believe you would do that. We're not that kind of people. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I'm not surprised at all. What I say is, not only did you lie in this instant, God providentially allowed you to get caught so I can remind you that you didn't just lie, but you're a sinner. And that you're a liar in your heart. And that's the reason you need the forgiveness uh, of God. And also with the sin of somebody else. I'll have my kids all scandalized about what somebody else has done. Uh, and I'll say, you're capable of that. And What do you mean? I, I would never do that. Yeah, you're capable of that. Jesus dealt with this, Right? If you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already, meaning that all of us have the root of adultery in our heart. And we could go down the list of sins. So if you're addressing them in light of the gospel, you're reminding them that even though they may not have done certain things, they're capable of sin that they couldn't even imagine in this moment. And you're also reminding them that you're not surprised that, they're, that they sin and that you're dealing with them on that level that you want to train them and correct them, but the ultimate answer for that is not behavior modification, it's repentance and faith. That's really good, really good word. Apparently we have a bunch of liars on stage, according to <laughs> Dr. Prince there. I want to ask another question. You know, we're talking primarily to parents and assuming that parents are intentional, but there's, you know, it's, it's, it's very well known that a lot of kids might come into our churches who may not have fully formed families or maybe they're invited into, say, youth group, by a friend. And so when these kinds of questions come up, not in the family structure, but in, uh, in youth group or at church among kids that might not be church, what, what are some ways, uh, Chip, that we can uh, be proactive in our churches to address that? Sure. Yeah, I think we have to go out of our way just to love them and not just say, well, that's the student pastor's job to love them, <laughs> but the youth leader and the families of the church. Um, the more we show them love, the more they are willing to listen. They need to see that it's not just a religion that we're offering them, not just um, a different way of thinking, but it's a greater way of thinking because it produces more love. And so we work very hard to, uh, to love the lost and to love the unchurched, 
we do things like just go after them and feed them. We go after them and have conversations with them uh, and make sure that they understand that they are welcome to come in and to be themselves. And then as well, we, we also make sure that we're not just a big issue church, but that we're talking about all kinds of different issues in their lives that God wants to address and that God wants to provide for everything coming from God's word. And so we make sure that our student ministry is not a gospel only, not just an evangelistic crusade all the time, but it's gospel always in all things, no matter what we're talking about. So the students that come in from families that may not have a father or may not have a Christian home situation, that they are hearing the same foundation over and over and over again of love and of Jesus' sacrifice. And this is coming from the word of God. And we believe when we do that, the Holy Spirit is active, is active. And so we are constantly talking about all things uh, within the lens of Christ. Mm, That's really good. We've talked a lot about sort of negative issues that come up or things that come up spontaneously, whether it's in the news or it's, uh, you know, something that happens at school. Uh, but there are times also where maybe parents need to introduce their kids to issues. And I'm thinking particularly, uh, Naomi, with uh, some of the, the suffering around the world. You know, maybe many of our kids live, you know, pretty well here in the West and are taken care of. And how do we do that in a way that's uh, really helpful to introduce them to the way that other kids might be living and suffering around the world? Well, one of the coolest, most, if you like strategy, and some of you maybe like two in this whole group must, uh, one of the coolest things in the world is that the people who are most open to the gospel, whether they're in poverty or whether they live in the United States and are more likely in plenty, are children. So 85% of people make their decision to follow our beloved Jesus before age 18. So think of the amazing power of helping your child encounter, get to know a child in poverty, perhaps in Africa, Asia, or Latin America, the places most in poverty, but also where the gospel's growing the most. That relationship, not only research will show, has incredible power for your child growing in the faith, but you're also influencing another child's physical help and their spiritual hope. So that would be the biggest thing I would say is find a way for your child to establish a relationship with a child who's in poverty and through that relationship, through prayer, through scripture study, grow and also encourage growth of one of the most vulnerable and open to the gospel populations in the world. Philip, I want to kind of have you uh, talk about that issue as well. One of the things we do in this Christ-centered parenting curriculum that you've uh, authored is really provide a way and, and really prompts for parents to talk about some of these things proactively. So what word of advice would you give on that? So think, back to, think back to the last time you attended a wedding. And you know part of the wedding weekend, one of the things that you do if you're in the wedding, whether you're bride or groom or you're in the a groomsman, that kind of thing, is you have a rehearsal the night before. You're simulating what's about to follow the next day in order that you can know and execute those things. And I'm sure there's plenty of great stories in the rooms of bridezilla encounters and other <laughs> drama that's happened at those rehearsals. But the whole point is let's role play what's about to come in order to help things go well at the time that it happens. And one of the things that we try to do in the rhythms of our home is to create those opportunities for simulation and role play before they occur. And so we'll introduce things to them. Let's say many of us have kids going back to school. One of the things I do is I take each of my boys out on their own and have a one-on-one conversation. You're going into third grade. 
Here's the exciting things about third grade. Here's what to expect. Here's some of the challenges you're going to face. Here's some of the things that you might face in a new way that you've never encountered before. And let's simulate some of those. Let's talk about if this happens, here's how you should respond. And so what that's creating for your children are categories so that what we're trying to do is not just give them the right answers. We're trying to shape the right instincts. That when they come across something new, they're not racking their brain for what do my parents teach me, but we're honing in them a response to life that is shaped by that. And we want the gospel to be foundational for that. And one of the ways that that works is by starting with things that are familiar to them and moving to things that are new. And so helping them to make connections. Hey, do you remember that time when this happened in your life? Well, there's this thing coming down the pipeline that's similar to that. And let's make that connection and help you start there and understand how that shapes it later on. And, and by doing those things, it helps to set our children up to succeed in those scenarios that are difficult. That's a really good word. Well, would you give a hand for our panelists? Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. To subscribe to the podcast, visit ERLC.com and join us next week as we apply biblical teaching to another pressing cultural issue.